0: Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow.
1: My name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom.
0: And welcome everybody to our 58th Green Shield Learning Trust and Friends GLT Book Club. It's an edu book club session and Dave and I are absolutely thrilled this afternoon to be joined by Karen Westpisa um, MBE who is um, simply a truly incredible person and we're, we're thrilled to bits to have you here Karen. Um, there is so much that I can say and I will I will try and keep it short because um, we really want to uh, hear from everybody and have those rich discussions this afternoon, rather than just talking about all the incredible things that you've done and everything you've contributed in so many different aspects of of what you do. Um, You are COO of TeacherTap, you're a trustee of ours at Greenshaw Learning Trust. You are the editor for the book that we're going to be talking about this evening, absolutely specialising in SEND and also involved in other things such as the research ed in in Berkshire last year as well and and, earlier on this year. I forget time at the moment and so many incredible things and we're thrilled to bits that we've got um, Sarah Vardy who's joining us on the panel as well. She's our school improvement lead for um, SEN across primary and secondary in the Greenshaw Learning Trust and I'm about to bring onto the stage Dr. Neil Gilbrock who's just joined us in the room because um, it's, it's, it's amazing to be able to have him here this afternoon and to join us on the panel. Um, he, he works with Ambition Institute and I know that all the amazing things that he's done with those angles as well. So Dave, I'm going to um, bring Neil in and once I do that I'm going to hand over to you to talk a little bit more about the thread, the how and the why and the, the beginning of our journey as a book club in, in this area. We couldn't think of a better way to get started.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, Karen, for giving your time up to us today. It's, it's wonderful to be able to talk with you and to sort of just um, to tap in a little bit more to so the expertise that you have. And, uh, and I just really, really appreciate um, the um, some of the sessions we've had previously about the, the pedagogical um, sort of aspects of our teaching. Um, but quite often um, the similarities and the differences between some of the scenarios we might be faced with as a classroom teacher, um, there, there's a lot of similarities and we can build up this culture, this routine, these expectations. Um, and sometimes, um, when working with uh, particular students, says there's, there's just this um, sort of this bigger need, this bigger difference, and um, and to to understand what we can do as teachers, it becomes more challenging, um, certainly for I. And uh, and to be able to sort of talk with you about um, what those scenarios look like, how we can can be that best support, how we can um, sort of get that quality quality first teaching, which is what sort of I think goes through your book, um, sort of how how we we teach so that all of our students get the very best um, outcomes and get the very best chance of that success. Um, to, to learn more about what we can do as practitioners, I think this is going to be an incredibly, incredibly valuable session for us. So just thank you so much for joining us. Um, but as, as um, I said said before, um, we started as well. We want to talk with you. We want to get as much from you as possible. And so I'm looking forward to sharing lots of the stuff in the book um, that, that um, just gives us those starting points, those sort of places where we can create um, our own expertise and and sort of and and give the students exactly what what they deserve in our classrooms. So really looking forward to talking to you more and uh, and find out more about what we can take away for tomorrow morning. So, sorry, I think my screen just froze there a little bit. So um, apologies, um, Karen. I don't know if there would be an opportunity for you to to talk just a little bit um, about sort of where where the book is coming from, sort of where. It's um it, it's sort of the origins, um, what we can take away and, and sort of how, how we might sort of move forward with our with our teaching. Um sort of what, what was your thoughts behind the, the book, first of all?
2: Thank you. Thank you for the lovely introduction, Rhiannon and Dave. It, it's really kind of you to invite me. Um and I do have major imposter syndrome around around everything to do with Sen and this book um in general. <laughs> so it's important to say at the start that I'm the editor of the book, N- not, well, I, I I did a little chapter, but you know, it's really based on, you know, the shoulders of giants of people who are uh, living and breathing Send in the classroom every single day. So I'm really glad we can focus on what they've written. I'm really glad that Sarah and Neil are here to join and give that expertise from the classroom because uh, I might've done lots of things, Ree, um, in lots of different places, but I have not been a teacher. <laughs> Um, And I don't claim to be. um, I'm an education researcher by background. And that was the way that I had to approach the book as well, um, very much through the research perspective, which is actually quite a challenge uh, when it comes to special educational needs, because the evidence base, it's growing, but it's actually very sparse. There's very little evidence. There's, There's been some big Studies over the last couple of years, for example, the Ofsted uh, big review before they launched um, the new inspection framework, which famously did not include any studies that included children with special educational needs. So there's there's been this gap in research. So when Tom Bennett, the series editor for the Research Ed books, approached me and asked me to write the Research Ed guide to send, (laughs) there was quite an initial challenge of where where is the evidence here Um, how do we pull a book together that's meant to be evidence-based when there's quite a few gaps in this evidence Um, but I'm not one to turn down a challenge so (laughs) so I went ahead anyway maybe somewhat foolishly um, and got in touch with um, like I say some of the best people I know uh, who write and think about these things and and, uh, live these things in in the classroom and in schools on a day-to-day basis um and so the first challenge i had um was about how to organize the book because the special in special educational needs and disabilities it, it speaks to the uniqueness um that we face when we're, we're talking about this topic um, there are lots of different primary areas of need which split down into multiple different conditions and then each of those can display differently and each child's needs is therefore special. So what what do you focus in one book on? Um and I had to be quite firm at the start and say we can't focus on any one condition because you need to look at the specialist literature if you've got a child with dyslexia or a child with Autism spectrum disorder or uh, a child who has a sensory impairment. You need to look at each of those separately and find that out. I can't write a book that's going to cover everything. Um, So I had to push all of that to one side and talk to all of the uh, contributing authors about writing something that's quite generalist about a specialist topic. Um, Bit of a sort of oxymoron, but we we had to go for it. And then I wanted to make sure that we covered the diversity of the sector. So um, in England, as we all know, um, the schools are split up into uh, mainstream and special uh, with special provision and with um, alternative provision um, under those umbrellas. And I needed something within the book that would help practitioners working in all of those different settings um and all of the different levels that you might um encounter send within those so i went to something that's a little bit old school i think i don't know sarah might correct me she i don't know to what extent people still talk about this but i looked back at the wave approach um looking at what teachers do in a regular classroom what um specialist teachers do in a regular mainstream school so kind of the role of the Senko, the role of intervention, and then looked at specialist provision. So there's three waves kind of building up in terms of uh, the amount of specialism that you might have as a professional um, and the uh, number of or the amount of uh, different conditions that you might be dealing with and try to bring in um, authors who covered those three things separately. And that, that's how I went about organising the book and then Largely after that, as I say, it's just curating what people sent me because they were amazing individuals. It really needed very little editing. I was quite hands-off after making the decision about how we organise it. Then after that, it was just corralling people and a little bit of tweaking and it's done. Just like that.
0: Dave, you muted yourself again afterwards.
1: I'm not doing very well with the technology today, am I? I do apologize. I just think it sounds absolutely brilliant, Karen. Um, and, and when I'm looking um, through the book, um, you are right about becoming a better evidence-involved SEND practitioner. Um, and some of the things you say just really sort of sing true. In, and and you're right about it, it being very general advice. I'm hoping this hour will be that sort of opportunity to talk in a little bit more detail about maybe specific scenarios or, or what people could, where people can go to get that advice when when they're working in the classroom and, and trying to to sort of make that, that difference. Um, but the, you, you mentioned about um, just asking questions, challenging assumptions, um, so, so the idea that we've always done it this way, well actually uh, there might be a better way and um, systematically gathering that evidence and just putting that process in place so you can really understand what's going on um, and then considering how you're going to weigh it all up and reflecting um, and that commitment too, that, that you just talk so much sense about how you can use that evidence and um, and, and also the chats that we're going to sort of look at um, today particularly is about what is inclusive teaching and how do you know you're doing it um, as well because um, once you're at that place and you gather that evidence and you feel like you know um, what you need to do is how, how do you know that you're achieving what you want to achieve with these students? How do you know that you're giving them the best possible deal? What is it um, that you need to further reflect on? And, um, and I just think there'll be so much that we can dig in um, around that in, in this hour. So just thank you so much for that um, introduction. Um, I don't know if there's anything that, that you wanted to share, maybe as a starting point um, for teachers that have sort of gone through that process and are ready to um, commit to action and, and just need that little bit more of a, a guidance on on where they should look, what they should do, what they should consider with the the individuals that they're working with, or um, whether there's any sort of you know starting point guidance you might be able to give anybody that's listening today?
2: Um, Well, I I would suggest looking at some of the uh, literature that's come out since this book has been published. So uh, we published this, what, 18 months, two years ago, and it's moved on speedily already. It's funny. um, This is the only book I've ever written, but it's funny how quickly it dates and obviously you start writing it a year or two before it gets published as well so um, in the book we've got quite a lot of SEN statistics for example um, they've gone out of date quite quickly the uh, incidence of SEND across the country has continued to rise um, so that that's constantly changing but in terms of the evidence base um, one of the most useful things I think is the EEF toolkit. Um, And that is a really nice practical way to start engaging with both what the evidence says and what you should do. Um, And it focuses, as much of this book does, on the idea of quality first teaching, um, which I think is important. There were three themes that really came through from everyone's chapters in the book. Firstly, about the importance of quality first teaching, Um, then about the importance of the... um, optimal deployment of teaching assistants and how they have a really important role to play in the SEND system. Um, And then about the role of parents, Um, again like with teaching assistants they're important throughout the education system but it seems that they are even more important uh, in terms of engagement, in terms of um, learning more about your pupils it, it comes down to knowing your pupils really well I think and your students um, and those were themes that came through throughout the book um, and it's interesting I think around the quality first teaching because it's a, a phrase that I keep coming back to again and again um, because what I get a bit stuck on and maybe, maybe Sarah can help out on this is what, what, what teaching you're doing if you're, you're not doing quality first teaching you know what? what's the alternative to that i don't think there is one so it, it's just like doing your best for all your kids and i don't i i've never met a teacher who doesn't but i, I, I mean, throw that
3: one back to you yeah I, I don't really like the phrase quality first and in the code of practice it's high quality teaching because i know with quality first what does that mean um and i think with high quality teaching, it's what we do for our children without SEND. So we just need to make sure in the absence of this evidence, that we are making sure that all of our children experience that high quality teaching, which is the very best lessons that we can provide. Um, Where we thought carefully about how we explain um, things, how we explain instructions, um, where we have lots of opportunities to model um what we want the children to do. And then, you know, as soon as we sort of set the work, we're we're going to help those children with SEM first because 90% of the children in your class should be able to do the work you set, but it will be those children who struggle. Um, And yeah, I think it's really important that we make sure teachers know exactly what high quality teaching is. I know at Greenshaw Learning Trust we've got a really good program, the principles of teaching, um, and there's a clear lesson structure. Um, so I think everybody does know what in regional learning trust and I'm sure in other trusts as well, what high quality teaching is. And then really today in our school improvement team, do you remember when George said, I don't know who he had been talking to, but it was, he had a colleague who taught in Japan and he said something like in Japan, we polish our lessons to perfection. And I just thought that was such a good phrase because that's actually what we need to do. We need to make sure each element of that lesson and everything we say and the questions we ask, is really carefully thought about so that because children without SCN will just get it, but children with SEN need it to be step by step, everything clearly explained. So, and I, I think when we're we're doing CPD on on high quality teaching, we need to explain why these things are good for children with SEN as well. So, for instance. You know in Grateful Learning Trust there'll be a low stakes quiz at the start of every lesson but that's to help with retrieval practice so that'd be especially good for children who have working memory difficulties because they do this quiz which has questions from the previous lesson the previous week the previous topic Um, and to really emphasize that this is so important for those children with working memory difficulties it gives them that opportunity to try to retrieve things um, which will help them to remember it in, in the long term so I'm really glad that that book and you're right, it does mention high quality teaching in, in most of those essays, which is, I think, the most important thing. Thank
0: you, Sarah. Thank you, Karen. And um, uh, I think it's I think it's really helpful, Karen, that I know you mentioned that you're uh, you've come at this from an educational researcher perspective, but I, for me that's a priceless perspective because I come from a teaching angle. and for me to be able to engage with research um, in a way that's meaningful and doesn't take up too much time and doesn't feel overwhelming, you know I, I need somebody else who can help me to um, help me to understand it more because reading some of the research that's out there, it's not written with me as the intended audience. You know, I need it in much simpler language. So it is, I think it's incredibly powerful that that you have that background and enabling you to be able to put this together and to bring all of those pieces, pieces together from all of the experts. And I think, uh, yes, it is, uh, you know, you mentioned when it was published, but it is still one of the books out there that's incredibly powerful with the conversations that we are having because this is an emotive area it's a sensitive area it's one of those ones where it's knowing the terminology and the language to use that that won't offend accidentally somebody else and i think um if i draw upon that some parallels to when we've had um sessions over behavior and safeguarding there's this nervousness this, uh, people are anxious about how to talk about it because they don't accidentally want to say something wrong or that might offend. So what this book that you've edited has, does is it brings together different ideas and a language and a starting point from which we can hold discussions and we can have a shared language and we can begin to articulate it. And what I really like at the moment about the direction that we're moving in is it's not what we are doing differently for students that we're able to support in in our classes that, 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 that would benefit from approaches from SEN. It's actually how everything is woven together and how it's intertwined and how that benefits all of our students but with the understanding of why it's also helping those students with those particular needs be they more general for all of the learners in our classes but also for the individual students for whom the what the why and the how behind what we're doing and that's what you said so yes we've got these principles but it's remembering why we're doing them as well because we can forget all of the stuff we're doing because we do so much and nobody intends to go out there and not do the best for their students and i know that weaving all of this in together with those that sort of golden thread or that that strand that runs through the middle of everything that's being done is a big part of the work that you've been doing as well neil if i may i know that you you're looking at that as not being a separate thing in the area that you're working at the moment i'm a huge it, it's it's impressive that we have around the table. We've got Karen uh, with her educational researcher background. We've got Sarah who does the primary and secondary schools across our group, across our trust, and we also have Neil with the work that he's doing in in, in ITT as well um, and other aspects of the the work that he's done in his background there. So, what we're able to cover I- in this panel is 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 quite in- impressive, actually. So that's my segue, Neil, to, to bring you in, if I may. <laughs>
4: how do i mute oh i'm muted there we go
0: um
4: i think i think that that we've been thinking about this book where we're at and where some of the questions raise i mean it's interesting isn't it because i think now the fact that we're having the debate i don't want to pull into kind of the quality first teaching debate i still think of it as quite a helpful term but the only reason is because it's only you know we're not that away from the past where actually we did need to point teachers attention to actually get it right first time because intervention work isn't a catch-all you know actually we that so the, the power of using the word first is about directing attention we're still not that far away from that that period of time where that was a common narrative so i still think it still has a lot of power i don't want to drag this into that kind of sort of debate the point being however that we all agree that actually we should be focusing on we can focus and get a lot right at that universal level. The question then is, well, how do you do that? You know, how how do you actually do that? And I think, I mean, uh, what I like about this book and how you've created it, Karen, and a, a, a testament to all the authors is, there's always there's multiple threads that you can follow and actually follow it from universal to targeted to to, to the specialist sector, and that's really important because actually I think sometimes we we don't really know how it all fits together like when do i move from universal to targeted you know like when does it become that transition and as it, 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 it is with great teaching one of the hardest things to get you know that's one of the hardest things of, the, of a teacher's journey is managing transitions that's when a lesson's won and lost is in the transition and it's almost the same in when we transition between universal you know um it just went straight out of my head. Universal, targeted, and specialist is how do you manage? That? And also, as a main scale teacher, where does where does my role sit within that? So you know, I was thinking about these threads, and like you know, we talked about um Catherine Walsh's chapter around how we intertwine SEND with the teacher standards, and actually how that creates a map for that, which then follows into. Cassie Young's chapter around, okay, what does SEND look like in practice? You can follow that thread through. If you're following more of a a Senko thread, you you can go from chapter, the first chapters around the kind of prevalence into someone like Nicola Dempsey's chapter around the NO Senkos in Ireland. I think you can follow a thread depending on your interest through the book, where it isn't just one chapter, but you can actually then follow other chapters, not necessarily in order, but actually picking your own journey through the book. To actually not just learn about that one aspect, but how those that aspect interrelates to others, and I think that that's what's really powerful here is there is that balance of a robust approach to to the research side, not just in the specialist, but as well as how we support mainstream, but the practical edge of um, a teacher and tomorrow morning. Uh, how do I become 10% more universal tomorrow? There is the wider question of how do we start that within trainee teachers, you know, like we're, ambition, we're thinking about this really hard where we're putting SND inclusion at the core of our ITT program. And we're thinking very hard about one of the key aspects of that is how a trainee moves from acquisition of a skill to being able to start to adapt that. Because that's a really hard thing to be able to adapt and that's at the heart of universal practice is being able to adapt whether that's prior to the lesson in play and on reflection of your practice and we're thinking very hard about that what that journey looks like for for a trainee across a range of different domains um because it's not a generic skill it's a domain specific Skill. I don't think anyone will be surprised that I'm talking about domain specificity coming from ambition. But um, you know, like that idea of actually you might be able to adapt how you assess. But then, how do you deal with that assessment data? How do you? What are you going to do? Um, so, and actually, I think as well, on top of that, like we say about SEM, and that being a category. But on any given day, you might have a child who's struggling. You know, like no one, like I've never been in a classroom. I wish it was the case when I was teaching where every child gets it and get it exactly the same level the first time you do it. Actually, that capacity and having that ability to look at what's going on and go, it's not working. It could be actually working for those children with a diagnosis today. It might be working actually not for other children. It might be a surprise. The best thing about this book, I think, is it yes it talks about scnd but the things they're talking about applies to all actually it could be a child who's got who's having just a bad day it's just not working for them today and for no reason just the wind may be outside i don't know but like you know it's just not working for them that day maybe their english lesson was really tough and this they're just a bit drained and they need that little bit of scaffold and i think that i think you can get any, anything from that book and that's what it allows you to do is kind of Develop the, both the practical, but that practical within a wider sense of how does this fit? How do I fit within this kind of waves, as Karen talks about? Um, but yeah, that's that's what I, I'm thinking is really powerful about this book. And anyone picking it up is follow a thread, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's really it's 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 really interesting the conversations that um, Sarah and I were having the other day. So I'm um, ECT. Um, coordinator for the trust. Um, it's the first time I've been involved in um, ECTS, and it's the it's the first time we've got this role across the trust as well. And Sarah led our first clinic for us the other day, which rightfully so, in in the ambition institute materials is SEN, and I'm 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 so pleased that it is the very first one we talk about. And Sarah and I spent quite some time talking about okay where shall we start with our ECTs? What are what are the what do we think's the most important? And I, I pulled a lot on her experience and expertise in that with the work that she does and what we know, making sure that we're not trying to say too much give give enough information, but also focus on some really specific areas that that we think that would be hugely helpful for them. And then and then during the session, um, I found myself there learning so much about what Sarah was saying as well that whilst the target was we were talking about things that you know the language and the framework that I that I use and I'm used to using and I've been in Greenshaw for for a few years now but I found it hugely helpful and powerful to remind me of things and bring me up to date on those things as well and I wonder Sarah if it might be worth um bringing you in here a little bit for for some of the things we talked about and some of the decisions we made because I just found it so helpful um, with, with how we did that as well because it's kind of setting our staff up and our colleagues up for us to be able to start those conversations now and have that shared understanding, have that shared language and talk about how we might manage different situations and I just thought it was quite a nice uh, thing to to
3: bring into as well, if that's okay, Sarah. Uh, I mean, I was really impressed with the ECTS. They had really good knowledge, and I think the teacher standards are really helpful. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, I'm trying to just relate it as well to this to the article by Catherine Walsh. So she talks about different. So it says in the code of practice, high quality teaching differentiated for individual pupils. So I'm not that keen on the word differentiation and if you look at you know the ECT guidance or um, the Ofsted education inspection framework overview of research it does say in class differentiation through providing differentiated teaching activities or resources has generally not been shown to have much impact on pupil attainment So I think this is what we were talking about that, you know, I've been teaching for 20 years and about 10 years ago, suddenly it was a thing where we had to have three different worksheets, top, middle and bottom, I just didn't get it. And the children who always got the bottom worksheet, it really affected their self-esteem and their confidence, but we all blindly did it. And now with Karen and a team of people researching what, what is best practice, we know that that isn't the correct thing to do. It doesn't make an impact on students' progress or very little. Um, and actually it even says in that document, it's actually really refreshing to re- read from an Ofsted document, but things like that, just increase, teach- increase teacher's workload, but actually has very little benefit. So what is better is, is trying to scaffold up um, and to have high, exp- high expectations for all those students. We believe all our children can achieve what we want them to achieve, but we just need to put the right scaffolding in place. And I think we also look to, um, you know, if you go onto like the British Dyslexia website and it will say reasonable adjustments for children with dyslexia, well, actually, a lot of those things now we do as part of high quality teaching. So, one of them is break down instructions. Well, we make sure as part of our high quality teaching that we really break down instructions. In fact, we do something, I think it's from Teach Like a Champion. So, we front load instructions and we make sure children understand the means of participation before we actually set that task. So if we were to say, what is photosynthesis, write it down on a whiteboard, turn your whiteboard down and only show me when I say, your really keen children will just write down, all they hear is what is photosynthesis and they'll just write that in their books. Children with working memory difficulties will have cognitive overload and won't do anything maybe, or just feel panic. So it's much better to, to, to explain, these are your means of participation um, I want you to write it on your mini whiteboards, turn the mini whiteboard over and show me when I say, OK, and then you repeat it and then you say, what is photosynthesis? And maybe you write it down and use some visuals. So I suppose this is what I mean is about t- polishing our lessons to perfection. It's getting that right every single time and not getting flustered. Um, teachers like to use a lot of words, so we really need to minimise our vocabulary, make use of visuals. And I think things like that really help. And in that way, a lot of those reasonable adjustments for a child with dyslexia that definitely was needed 10 years ago. Maybe it's now part of our high quality teaching. And as long as every single teacher is doing it, that's less, you know, it's, it's, it's not needed on an individual basis. Um, but there's there's so many sort of examples like that as well, and it's really drilling down, I suppose, to what what is what is high quality teaching. But that research is so important, um, and that we know that something we did in the past, three different worksheets, is not a good idea.
0: I wonder if um, I was just reflecting a moment, and it is slightly off on a tangent, I'm afraid. Um, I was wondering because of the when you went, when you were creating this Karen, curating this, you said that everybody was really, really keen to do it. Um, and uh, that's amazing. Um, it's a very, it's a very personal thing, contributing and putting some writing together and sharing it, especially um, uh, on certain topics. Um, was there any nervousness as well about People writing what they've done or or sharing it, and I'm worried about you know the 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 possible interpretations from others. Because what I'm getting in this room here is we've we've moved on a lot in the last few years, and it's moving on very very quickly as it should be. But almost so quickly that as soon as something is written, we're finding out something new. It's it's like almost like the development is as is as fast as it is in technology at the moment around SEM, which is brilliant because we're on catch up. But being on catch-up means that is there, was there a hesitation or is, has, is that possibly something that's come afterwards because of this greater awareness?
2: Um, I don't think there was hesitation for the reasons that you're suggesting. And one of your earlier points that so people were a bit nervous about SEND because of the language and um, coming into the sector. So I was an education researcher studying mainstream education systems and then I moved into researching uh, special educational needs and I was nervous about that but actually my experience is that people don't really care they just feel grateful to be heard and to have the conversation and they're they're actually really forgiving if you get your acronyms round the wrong way or talk about something in slightly the wrong terms they're just grateful to have the conversation frankly is my experience um but i think where there was perhaps a little bit more nervousness was about as i mentioned earlier the the idea of having to write this from a research and evidence base when there isn't one frankly um and about and it's a little bit sensitive but about being um related to the research ed movement Um, and there was some nervousness from some contributors about that and in fact um, Barney Ainglis at the start of his chapter I explained that most people wouldn't expect him to contribute to this book because you know from Twitter and that there's the trad and prog debate and everything and send is sometimes seen as a bit of proggy and trads just want behavior and send probably isn't a thing anyway they just need to behave and it, it all gets really binary particularly on twitter um but then research head gets sucked into that um and you might if you were to kind of make a stab in the dark on a blank piece of paper think that barney and tom bennett were on opposite sides of this debate um but they both stepped up and Tom was very happy to have Barney contribute and Barney was happy to make that contribution because I think stepping out of those comfort zones where you're normally talking to like-minded people so now I've offended the research sector so to offend the specialist sector as well they often spend a lot of time talking to themselves Um, you know, we go to conferences about special educational needs and everyone there agrees it's really important and we ought to do more and all teachers ought to know more about it. Um, So these two groups often kind of sit very separately and don't talk to each other. So the challenge and the scary thing of this book was how it might try to bridge that gap a little bit. Um, And I think it kind of does that a bit. Barney's chapter in particular, because he challenges... Uh, around what evidence actually is and about what good practice is and whose voices we need to hear. But also, as Neil mentioned earlier, Nicole's chapter also challenges. It raises really important questions about what a Senko is um, and whether it's the right role to have. And even Catherine's chapter, it, it questions whether differentiation is the right thing to be using and why we should move away from some of the things that we've had established um, as being the right thing to do for quite a long time. So I think the scary thing was bringing this all together into one place. I don't think anyone was scared to say it, but perhaps they were scared to say it together.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe it's 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 more my worries about that one that are coming through today, because it is it is an area that I know I am um, at least expert around this table, most certainly uh, about which is why you know having this having this forum, being able to ask these ask these questions to you guys is is brilliant. It's really helpful. Neil, is that a virtual hand or a literal hand? I am
4: gonna put my hand up there because I think that you've hit onto something there. Like over the last few months, years indeed, um when you speak to, to teachers, head teachers, executive head teachers, like executive leaders early career, NQT, at every phase, every person gone on would say that I've never met someone that goes, I'm a brilliant teacher of, of children with SCND. Like, or I, I've never heard it. In fact, most of the time, like I've had experiences where they say, I oh, she has my weak spot. And we've got to overcome that because actually I don't think that's true. If we're saying that actually quite a substantive number of needs, whether it's categorized or not, can be met through universal provision, then we've got to start actually saying to, you know, and I think it's where I'm going to come back to where this book has the power. Um, Actually, there's a lot of things you're doing day to day that is doing that. You might not know you're doing it. You know, when you introduce wait time into your questioning, you're doing it. You're doing it. You are making your lesson more inclusive. You might think it's this big... thing you know and it it actually isn't it's doing these things that are the day-to-day practice that are really hard to do they're actually really hard to learn how to do um,
3: just to chip in with you like that thing about wait time that's another thing on the reasonable adjustments for dyslexia but if you have cold calling and then you say i was reading this in our school what is the capital of australia laura then you're giving everyone that wait time but you have to train yourself to do that every single time you ask a question that's really difficult i think
4: i completely agree and part of it is then you know as a sector learn like starting to think about what's the declarative the kind of knowledge the factual knowledge and the procedural knowledge that we can scale up through a, a teacher's career trajectory that they're probably already doing identify also add to that enables that adaptive practice um but critically i think it's by challenging when people say oh i'm not very good at it it's starting to challenge that notion that actually you probably are let's look from a strength-based perspective and actually identify what you're doing really well and it's just it's a matter of tweaking from there i think the other barrier as well is that um we need to get over, I think, as a sector, not get over, that's the wrong thing. Um, we, when we're talking about SCMD, the keyword comes out as special. That means they've got needs that are uniquely identified. And it's somewhat, it's a thought exercise to overcome the notion that something special and unique can be met through a universal approach. That's a paradox, like, and also there's a, not just a paradox cognitively, emotively. know like there's a oh we must be doing this the right thing i think this is kind of addictive aspect of personalized learning because it's you know it's treating everyone's individual and that feels really good and so it's overcoming that to show that actually you need to overcome you can overcome this paradox and that's actually what's best and it's, it's again this book curatedly beautifully by karen and i know she will she will she will say it's not it's the individual authors it is, but it's also a partnership between that and the editor to actually create that thread, to actually show we need artifacts, we need that bring together specialist, targeted universal, to show teachers that, and to to kind of give them a pat on the back and say, it's okay. And I think that that's a big part of it
3: as well. I think as well, a big part of the special bit is getting to know those children in your class. So once you've perfected your teaching and, you've included as many of those elements as possible. The next step is then really getting to know the children in your class who have an EHCP and are on SCN support and making those children your priority because no two children with autism are the same. So you you just need to get to know those children um, as well as you possibly can. And I also believe that with our schools, and I know lots of trusts do this, is we're really trying to change our whole school So when I went to school, I had to learn the rules and routines of 10 different teachers. But if you come to a Greenshaw Learning Trust School or many other schools that that follow this, every teacher has the same behaviour policy because it's a whole school behaviour policy. Every teacher has the same lesson structure so their children are welcomed at the door. Then there's the I do bit where the teacher explains. Also, even before that, there's the low stakes quiz, then there's the I do bit, then there's the we do bit, which is the practice, et cetera. So there's no surprises. Children know what to expect. And I think that does do something to reduce anxiety once it's established and embedded and gives, you know, disruption free classrooms gives teachers the time to go and support those children. You know, the children who need it the most and and allows TAs to also support those children without worrying about behaviour and things so it can it can work both ways but yeah key thing is getting to know those children i think
1: i think that sounds absolutely brilliant sorry i'm going to just jump in and, and just um find out a little bit more really to a general and open question Karen about our thoughts so far does anything that's sort already of resonates anything that you think um that we could be thinking in a slightly different way or we could add to um i don't know Sort as as you've been listening to us talk whether there's anything that that you feel, yeah, that, that makes sense from what you've read. That's what I wanted to get across. Or, or actually, I want to add this, this and this to what you have just said. And I think that would be a, a more complete way of looking at things. Is there anything that's come up for you so far in the discussion that, that you've been listening to?
0: Um, I think one
2: thing that sort of surprised me when I was looking back over the book again in preparation for this because obviously it was a little while ago and you don't, you don't read your own book very much um, was how little actually the graduated approach is mentioned it's only in there once um, and I was a bit surprised on that and reflection because actually the so just just in case for those who don't know the graduated approach is um, the process of assessing need planning what you're going to do uh, doing it and then reviewing it, which is in itself a little research cycle. So in some ways, SEND, by having this historically kind of at its core, the graduated approach, it's there in the code of practice. It's, it's featured quite heavily in a lot of places and in a lot of SENCO training and that type of thing. The assess, plan, do review, it does kind of put research at its heart. Um, It didn't come up as much as I thought in the book. Um, But what does come up in other places in the book is how for SEND, you do have to make your own evidence. You do have to be doing this reviewing and changing and being prepared to fail um, and making tweaks and trying something different. So whilst I might have been being a bit down on (laughs) how evidence-informed SEND is, in some ways... Teachers who are practicing in this way are being, you know, exemplarily uh, evidence informed. So I don't know if, if other people have, have had that observation at all.
0: It's sounding like we need to be much more forgiving of ourselves as as we are learning our craft and we're helping to support all of the students and everybody that we're working with and especially those you know with with special educational needs and because they are all individuals so actually it's it's it sounds like we need to be more forgiving because we're conducting our own action research all of the time within our classrooms and the variables are forever changing you know from, from one lesson to the next uh, in the same day if the, if the wind's outside especially if you're lower down in the school that can completely change what you've got planned you know i, I started off um as, as an early year specialist so we would be very much driven by the weather with what my plans for what the class were doing that day which is less impacted so later on in the school but it's that i had that awareness and it's it's remembering those things as well in and amongst the busyness of what we're trying to remember that we do ourselves as teachers which is where the rules and the routines and and those aspects of it can bring greater clarity and um, for everybody involved in, in what they're doing and so with, with, with that um, very sorrowful eye on the clock that I've got at the same time for everybody's time this evening, I'm sort of um, wondering now, actually, if it might be a really nice way to start bringing in some of, the, some of um, people's individual takeaways for the session. I think mine is actually to be just more forgiving and it, it, the way you put it across, Karen, that actually in the sector, we're a lot more forgiven than you might realise. And I think I need to be kinder to myself about that and, and, and honest and then talk to other people. And that's how I learn. We, I will learn through discussions. I will learn through finding out. I will learn through my own little mini aspects of action research. And so I wonder, Dave, if you might might start that one off, because yes, Sarah, Neil, I'll be calling upon you guys as well to see if you've got a little takeaway, something something from the discussion reading, or, or something to share with others, and, and Karen, feel free to to add to that as well if you'd like to. So over to you, Dave.
1: Thanks, Marie. um First takeaway, is I know I have to use a mute button again now, so I'll take that away first. One, well, sorry for uh, for before, but um, Karen um, sort of mentioned the themes in the book about quality first teaching, um, the role of parents, and the role of teaching assistants as um, this sort of running theme through the book. Um, and, uh, and Neil also said that we need to challenge this notion that we think um, we're not good at teaching SCND and that we, we do so we use lots of these techniques all the time. So I'm going to go in two-footed here and I'm going to say um, that I am my strongest place is a quality first teaching. Uh, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It sounds awful. As I, say. I don't mean I'm a good teacher, but I, I, know, I understand those techniques. I, I know I know what wait time is. I know what Cole call it. And so I feel like I've got more knowledge in that area um, my takeaway then is to go and, go and sort of speak to the parents of these children to to find out more about those individual needs because they are the people that are going to know those needs the best and once I've got those uh, that information, once I've got that knowledge I'm going to be thinking about what I can do specifically for those students and then I'm going to my teaching assistants and I'm not just going to use them as I do at the moment, uh, I feel really guilty of the fact that um, I. I Maybe it's the confidence um, of, of teaching SCND students but, but I go into those lessons and I feel very much that the teacher the teacher assistant knows better than I this student they work with them all day every day and I'm coming in for this one lesson so I allow them to to have this role assume this role, and they're great but I think I need to be a little bit more specific in those conversations with them so that the um, what we're doing to support that student is specific to the material that I'm covering um, that I understand what's happening when I see those discussions happening and so my takeaway is to talk to parents, find out more about the students, and then talk with my teacher assistants. It's all about communication, I think, for me, for my takeaway from this session today. But Karen, thank you so much. I've got loads from that. And tomorrow, I really do feel, feel my lessons are going to be different. They're going to be more positive. They're going to have more strength to it because of the conversation we had today. So thank you so much for your time again today.
0: That's brilliant. Dave. Thank you, Sarah. I'm going to link that up with you next because I'm just thinking of how beautifully that linked with your training session you did for (laughs) EGT's the other day.
3: Well, just as I just think how important it is just to keep reading. I think things are changing and I think this book and all the essays in this book are just so valuable Um, and really it's such a good way to learn. Um, And there's a brilliant article by Nicole Dempsey, Send and Social Justice, which um, I've just, you know, I've just really recommend that everybody reads that, and then I have been recommended, it, I think it's Ambition Institute, but it's called A Good Life Towards Greater Dignity for People with Learning Disability, oh my goodness, that is a life-changing read, you need to read that, and, um, you know, it talks a lot about, there's, there's a section in in there about, well, really just the, the language that we use, and that, you know, for you to secure support for your child who's got a disability so to secure the hdp you have to prove that they failed again and again and again and and that's just just wrong And, and i really feel we do need to have a big rethink that's why we've got the send you know the send green paper as well um it also talks about in there that the current code of practice describes provision for send student students which is different from or additional to that which is normally available but it says in there that we need to move beyond that um and towards more expert and rigorous teaching for children with send because they don't learn in different ways, like fundamentally they don't learn in different ways. So I just think it's really inspired me just to keep to keep reading and, and to keep, you know, finding out those things. So, you know, if there's any way of just sharing any more articles like that, because sometimes you just find out about things by accident, like through Twitter or someone sends you something, but well, if so you thanks. wouldn't mind,
0: yeah, if you wouldn't mind sharing those links for me with me, Sarah, I'll make sure that they get um, put yeah. out if it's possible when when this gets put out as well in the package for that. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely couldn't have written links between each of these takeaways any better than myself because you've you've directly linked in your takeaway there something from Ambition Institute, and I'm about to go to Neil to ask him if he has a, a takeaway. Um, to, to be able to share with with the rest of us as well, like like you guys have. So Neil,
3: over to you.
4: Thank you. I, I mean, don't have to. Uh, it's, that's wonderful. Thank you. And Tom would, I echo that as well. That paper is really powerful. Um, as someone who's worked in kind of SMD communities for about 15 16 years, I felt like it was someone finally said something very very important. Um, I think two things for me. First thing is uh, this sector. I think sometimes the sector feels that it's a, it's not at one hundred percent with like, or is it zero? It's starting at zero when it comes to, to working with children s if not. Actually, there's, there's a lot of good things that are happening and teachers every day are doing. How do we, first of all, help teachers to see what they're doing is actually the basis, the foundation, the framework from which to build a truly inclusive classroom? And like, so I think that first aspect for me is, is that. And the second part is, is, is working with, You know the the breadth of the sector about how what does this development journey look like you know what does this development journey from someone at the very start of their career without flooding you know and saying it all has to be in those nine months because it's not how do we use itt early career framework the power of trusts the kind of mpq how do we use that journey to constantly develop that capacity to adapt to students needs in their classroom and what does that journey look like what does the, the types of knowledge the experiences as well the experiences because they really matter and are very powerful um, to help that professional growth um, that's my takeaway from 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 today
0: thank you and because the more expert we are at teaching the better able hopefully we are to be able to support all individuals and all students in front of us so it being part of that journey and an integral interwoven part of that journey is important to have, but not for it to be implied, but for it to be explicit, and for it to be clearly articulated, that that it's a really important part of that. So thank you so much. And I know it's one of those things that's obvious, it's only obvious when somebody actually outlines it and articulates it and works on it in the way that I know you and others are. And then Karen, oh, Thank you. Thank you so much for curating this. Thank you for your time. Thank you for everything you do. And, you know, a parent ping was brilliant during um, lockdown as well. And I was part of that. You know, I have to mention that while we're here because I really enjoyed that. And 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 you said at the beginning, and I'll keep going back to that. You said, well, I'm, you know, I came at this from an educational researcher side of it, but it's such an important part. Uh, and an a role to play in the educational community and we we've all benefited from it and we're hugely grateful to people like yourselves with with the work that you do and to your time today and and your um patience with the the gremlins and the challenges we had with me being able to log into this session today so thank <laughs> you for your patience with that and i just wondered if if, if there was anything that a reflection you had or, or something for you to that you might want to share as well um at the end of the session um before we round off
2: yeah i'm so glad that sarah mentioned tom and ben's paper because it was down on my list it was going to be my concluding remark <laughs> 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 because it is it is seminal it's really important so it's tom reese and ben newmark's uh paper um they published a blog on it um cst have published it into a A paper that's a little bit more polished but it's really important and I think one of the things that's important about it is that Tom and Ben are mainstream class teachers well they were (laughs) and they're teachers Um, and they're actually coming at this from a parent perspective Um, and they've kept quiet for quite a long time Um, I think Tom's uh, child is quite old now um, teenager at least and and so these are things that they've been reflecting on for quite a long time and I'm so glad that they are speaking up at this point and kind of taking on this mantle um, because it is really hard and it's really hard to gain traction from within the specialist sector. So having advocates in the mainstream sector, it's just so important. And and I think that that's a really good paper to read. Um, I think my other final point is to to thank you for for inviting us to talk about this book and for for being that there was no judgment at any point that what we're talking about is for other people it's for senkos. it's for specialist schools no one has suggested that um, but maybe if we'd had this conversation two five ten years ago it would have been pushing it over there. I don't need to do this. This is someone else's job. Uh, send the kids out for the interventions with this other person. And there's really been a lack of othering in this conversation. There's a lack of othering in this book. It's it's a bit of a trope now. But every teacher is a teacher of sender. It's everybody's responsibility. And we haven't we haven't had to say that. I've I've sneaked it in as a last soundbite. But thank you for for making it just so naturally something that everyone will do as part of their practice
0: thank you i think it's a testament to how far we've come it's brilliant that that we were able to have all of those discussions and not even realize that 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 it that's what we had managed to do around this table and how we've come far we've come already so it's a huge thank you for me i know we've run five minutes over and i'm hugely grateful for to everybody for their time today and because for all of you it's your firsts as well so hopefully at some point you wouldn't mind joining us again in the future and i know dave you'll want to say thank you before i close down
1: Thanks so much, Ray, And, and yeah, just in uh, the chat there as well, it's a testament to the book um, as well, because that's what we've been talking about today. And that set the tone for that conversation. And it's such an important tone. Um, and just a, a huge thank you for joining us um, and supporting us to become better practitioners um, as we go into those classrooms tomorrow and, and, and try to make that difference. So, so it really has had a great positive impact on, on me personally and, and people who have been listening as well, I'm sure. So just a massive thank you for giving your time up today as well, Karen. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much everybody. I am going to stop the recording now and we really appreciate everything you've done and we um, look forward to continuing conversations with you all uh, in the future at the same time.